Garden Planet. You're with Selena and Karen. Afternoon, guys. And uh, at the moment, we're recording from our homes, so we apologise in advance if it does sound a little glitchy or not very studio professional. But, you know, we're here for you and uh, we're going to do this. That's right. So, <laughs> let's get comfy. <laughs> today's topic, guys, we're going to continue on from where we were last week, which was uh, hunting and collecting botanicals. And Selena went into quite some depth. Uh, very interesting conversation here. Yes. Global expeditions, looking for, hunting for plants around the world by empires and the likes yes and well we got up to seed banks and I was talking about them we weren't going to go on to a different planet just yet (laughs) (laughs) watch watch this space get your telescope out Um, no today Selene is going to talk a bit more about the actual collecting of uh, botanical seeds, seedlings and whatnot. Just going to focus a bit on that side of today. And I will be discussing the plant of the week, which is, drum roll, the kina tree. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> bit of a late drum roll there. Okay. Well. So it's... let's get started. What, what have you discovered about collecting Plant collecting, Selena. Okay, just uh, getting it down to the personal as a gardener myself. When I first started gardening, I didn't have many plants at all. How long ago did you first start gardening? Um, I think it's been about six years now since I started my own garden. And um, yeah. Did you always have an interest before that? or um, I had a sporadic interest in plants, but never was quite serious about it until maybe six years ago when I started learning more about it and actually getting my hands dirty and doing it every so day. So you kind of had an interest like, oh, like like with animals, like, oh, I love animals, yeah. I like animals. Yeah. Um, they kind of, you had an appreciation. Yeah. Uh, my first yeah. plant was. Well, you 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 are a natural because I've seen your garden and it, it I think it's spectacular. Oh, thanks, Karen. And um, yeah, so this is my opinion, and I've seen a few gardens. You know, I come from a family. My mum um, and then her mum, my grandmother. And on my other side, my dad's side, they are all avid gardeners. I've grown up with them. Maybe not so much organic gardeners yourself. Different sort of style, more, more of a, um, what do they call that kind of garden? Display, ornamental. Although mum can easily grow tomatoes and, you know, vegetables and whatnot. But, yeah, most of my family was more on the ornamental side of gardening. Mm-hmm. And um, I still have got so far to go with like my level of gardening, I've still got so much more to learn. I've still had plenty of failures. I'm definitely better than when I started, mm. but I've been doing it. My point is I've been doing it since I was definitely more than six years. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably closer to 20. Yeah. 
On and off. So obviously when I was overseas, no. When I was flatting and at uni, no. Uh, um, yeah. You know, I had other priorities yeah, yeah. at times, but yeah, uh, it's such a wide, on um, and off, yeah, years. wide. What do you call it? Discipline, hobby, pastime, uh, well, occupation. <laughs> um, that you might never come to the end of it because I was looking up the World Flora uh, Consortium, which is like uh, a gathering together of all the international botanic gardens and scientists who classify all the plants and the UN have made a kind of ruling that um, they want to conserve the plant diversity of the planet but to do that they need to identify as many plants as they can from around the world so they've made this consortium where all the botanical institutions put in all the plants that they have into a big database called the World Flora. And so far, what is, they can have... Can I ask you something? <laughs> yes. What, is it, what, what does consortium mean? Um, <laughs> where's my dictionary? Uh, it means like <laughs> a... Um, I think it's like when you group... Gathering together of... That. I don't know. That would for, be my guess from my English student days. <laughs> It's like you get every botanist um, to get together and pull their ideas. Well, not just botanists, but any sort of, oh, okay. sort of scientist. Yeah. Or yeah, like a gathering of knowledge. Yeah. Oh. So I went on the website and it said they had gathered together 1,325,200 different unique uh, plant names that they've identified. I struggled I struggled hearing you a bit then, Selena. I think you were moving away from the mic. Sorry, what was the number of plants that they've got in there? Uh, One million. One million. Three hundred and twenty-five thousand two hundred and five different names of plants. That's quite a bit. Yes. And um, so um, the other day... That's definitely quite concise... The other day I went round my own garden and I was counting all the different plants that I could identify. And so I made yeah. a, I made a count and I got 115 different kinds of plants that I could identify. So that is a very small percentage. 115. Yeah, 115 all different types of plants. So um, wow, that's, that seems a lot to me. <laughs> yeah, it seems quite yeah. a lot, doesn't it? I suppose my garden is quite And the thing is, diverse. I think you should be really pleased with that. And the thing is, like, there's a lot of the plants in that consortium mm-hmm. that, you know, obviously there's a lot of trees that you wouldn't be able to fit into your backyard. Of course not. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You know, the, and plants that would not grow due to, you know, the type of plant it is in your backyard. Mm. So you've got to allow probably, yeah. I, I think you could probably safely say you should be able to grow on about, you know, half a million plants um, <laughs> re, within reason yeah. in your backyard. So you've, you've made a good you start, say? Selena. Keep, keep going. I don't think I can squeeze You might have to wipe out the lawn. I'll have to wipe out the lawn, yes. Um, planting on the roof. <laughs> oh, yes, the roof. I haven't done that yet. 
And I haven't done much indoor gardening yet, but I will tell the listeners that my very first plant was an indoor plant. And I remember it. I don't still have it, though. It was a zebra plant. And that was... Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that. Um, it didn't grow very big, though. <laughs> it just kind of stayed <laughs> the same. Are they meant to be outdoors? No, it's an indoor zebra plant. So it had, like, leaves that were striped like a zebra, green and um, white. Yeah, so was it just your lack of gardening prowess or something? Well, that was my very first plant, so I didn't... What what, what would you say went wrong? Was it the size of the pot? Um, Possibly I didn't repot it. As a, a, you know, uh, um, experienced gardener Mm. now... I would say probably maybe the temperature wasn't quite right for it because it's a tropical plant, uh, and right, yeah. I not, yeah. not novice mistake, Selena. Yeah, <laughs> no, I didn't overwater it. I was very careful. easily fixed, though. Easily fixed. You just move it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Well, if I went back in time, I probably would know what to do now. So yeah. So that's quite a wonderful. Is hindsight a wonderful thing? I find it quite annoying, actually. Mm, well, I have killed um, quite a few plants in my time because I didn't really know yeah, what to too. do with them. So I just call it my bit to the world's compost heap. Mm. You know, and I think of I try to think of death in that light that it's us giving our bit back mm. when we die. Yeah. To the land yeah. that has given so much to us mm. over the years. Um, you know, it's the least I can do. So I try not to think of my planting failures as a complete loss. Mm. And also the joy of gardening, just getting your hands in the soil, being in the fresh air, trying new things sometimes. It's quite exciting. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. And then if you are able to learn from it, Gosh, I sound like a teacher now. You get a learning experience from it. Wow, how cool is that? That's because you are a teacher, Karen. Oh, yes, that's right. But I just don't feel like it at the moment because I'm stuck in my house all the oh, time. It's got to come out somehow, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it always does. Okay. Yeah, my poor child is having to suffer it. <laughs> um, well, when you're starting out gardening and you're quite serious about getting plants for your garden, what I did was look at lots of plant catalogues to see what different types of plants there were and how to care for them. Uh, so, well, what I looked at was the Palmer's Manual of Trees and Shrubs and I had all these books that had different so encyclopedia type books of all different plants. It's just fascinating looking at them all. Did you do? Did you find the books? I don't know if asking a librarian is the right <laughs> thing to do, but I'm going to. Yeah. Did you find the books more or less useful than just chatting with people that you've gardened before, or just? general hands-on experience well i think they do did come in useful did come in useful did come in handy to get to know the names and things and it will okay so i think it's a mixture isn't it yeah i think it's a bit of both i mean you sort of can't really have one without the other because i've worked with gardeners who didn't have a lot of plant knowledge and were kind of doing it trial and error 
and then others yeah. that had like all the encyclopedic knowledge but didn't have practical experience so yeah. I think there's a bit of both in there yeah. um, so some of these and that's why these consortiums are so good because yeah. it's always good to have you know something written some yeah. written knowledge yeah. passed on yeah. from people that have experienced certain conditions or certain factors or issues when growing plants um, and, and you can look back and go, oh, that's right, that person did this when that happened to their plant. Yeah. Or, oh, that's right, this plant grows well in, you know, dry areas. Yeah. Or So it, it's just a handy, handy thing to have because, let's face it, um, I think some of the issues that gardeners face today are not always the same issues that, you know, our elders, elder gardeners faced. Mm. I mean, yeah. different times, different challenges, different bugs. True. Um, yeah. I was just going to add that when I was learning Rungwa, um the very first thing we did was to identify different plants. That's the very first um, basic building block of knowledge before we start to work with the plants is just to get to know them, see their mm. names, the shape of the leaves, the flowers, where they grow, what they like. And you were working grow. with you were working with a uh, teacher, yes. So a healer and yeah. with immense knowledge, yes. So I could, and I find people like that, even people like my mother who knows a huge array of plants, I can just point to anything. She's a bit like you and I can go, what's that? And she, mm. Oh, that's a such, but you'll know the Latin name and everything. And, and she'll tell me it's that because you can see if you look under the leaf or what that, she's just got such a, a knowledge. She's a clever lady and um, so, you know, whereas if I saw the same plant in a book yeah, it's not quite the same. No, you know. But no. I must say, the photography that you get these days, and the technology you get when you got those apps that can identify plants and all this and that, is it does make it easier. It's not like you're looking at a sketch. But <laughs> what was the botanist on the endeavour? You know, yes, did. they had. I to... certainly wouldn't want to look at my sketches. <laughs> Some of those sketches, though, the original ones, are real lifelike and quite wow. amazing um, to look at. I wonder if, as a botanist back in the day, you had to be a good artist as well. You definitely to had real. to be a one that was could represent things from real life. Like You couldn't use your imagination. You just had to draw mm. or paint what was there and make it as true mm. to life as possible but what they did was they would collect specimens of the say the leaves and dry them and send them back to these huge um they called them herbariums and they would yeah. preserve all those leaves and seeds and everything in um big containers and cards so that every plant every new plant they didn't know had a like a record and that was the beginning of the botanical institutions. So, um, and that was all connected with the botanic gardens. So one of the biggest ones was Kew in London, and that was probably the biggest one in the world still. 
and they tried to collect plants from all over the world. Just they wanted to know everything. <laughs> so um, some so of those the plots... gardens around the world once upon a time were government-owned or government-funded because they were a part of something very, very important mm. to leaders at that time, which was sourcing as many plants that they could yeah. that would benefit their country. Yeah. So it was seen as an enterprise almost, yeah. having a good botanical garden yeah. set up. Yeah. So they had to... Whereas them. now, yeah. they, we've got the Auckland Botanical Gardens, or even the one you were talking about in London. Mm-hmm. Are they private-owned or... As they originally... Oh, so as a council-owned. Privately-owned, but commissioned by like the royals and then they've right. become yeah. scientific institutions in the name of science that they were doing it so I think originally they were right. by the crown like the king and queen would send out the but yeah they, they were very seen as very serious yeah operations yeah so they they would have they would have preserved things you know very carefully and looked into things really closely and made a lot of notes and all that. Yeah. yeah. So even now... Wow. Because you know, like today, you'd like, if someone goes, oh, let's go, let's go to the Botanical Gardens on Saturday, it's sort of like, it's a, just a sort of a fun sort of novelty yeah. thing to go and do, you know. It's like, oh, we are lovely. What a lovely way. But they were actually... I wonder if the public were allowed into them. Um, eventually, then. when they had to, like, uh, make like to pay their way to pay for all the maintenance to allow visitors in it's become attractions but yes they originally like were trialing plants from different parts of the world to see if they would grow um in that environment or in the greenhouses and things just 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 to see if it would take i suppose and then introduce them to the general public through the nurseries and everything, and then make some money off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. And then the commons were allowed access. Uh, speaking of commoners, um, when I looked on the Kew Gardens website, and uh, they were talking about how wealthy gardeners, like the ones who had designer gardeners, were sort of endangering. Um, African cycads. You know what cycads are? Those big palm, like designer yeah. plants. They can yeah. sell up for like thousands of dollars. While well, they yes. were getting those ones from Africa and from the wild to put in their fancy gardens, and they were kind of depleting. And this was back in the no. This is now eighteen hundred. So, no, this is now. Oh, now. So they're endangered now. And, in the not, well, and, they, and if they put them on a boat or a plane or whatever, they do travel quite well, I yeah. assume, being a robust sort of palm. Yeah. But they, they like cost $20 a seed and they take ages to grow. So oh. some, that's, some things are collecting is not actually beneficial for um, the natural, like the wild habitat of where these plants originally come from. No. No, that's that's not that's a sad side of mm. um, collecting. Actually, that brings me to um, a point to be made in my plant beat the hina tree. This one was also um, savagely uh, harvested for its uh, health properties. Shall we crack into that okay. now? Do you 
Fun of the week. Of all the saddest words that I have ever heard, the saddest is a story told me by a bird. You'd spend about an hour chatting with a flower. Let's go to our fun of the week, Karen. I'm a lonely Yes, so the Kina tree. Sintona officinalis is the Latin name. And I found some interesting facts out about this tree, Selena. Okay. Uh, from the National Geographic magazine, actually. Yes. And quite relevant to the June 2020 edition. Okay. So I just made some notes, so I'm going to share them now because it's a, a very relevant tree and you'll soon find out why. As scientists the world over search for a way to prevent and treat, voila, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Some Brazilians have turned to a plant locally known as kina. And it is often in the, found in the Amazon and other rural communities. And it is used to combat malaria and other inflammatory conditions. The tree is said to have inspired what would later become hydroxychloroquine. Chloroquine, sorry. Do we agree it was hydroxychloroquine? Mm-hmm. Hydroxychloroquine, yeah. A medication that we've heard of being touted by the US President, Ms. Trump. However, um, the unfortunate thing is that there's no real solid scientific proof behind this hydroxychloroquine. But mm. let's go back to the beginning, 1638. After visiting the Amazon rainforest in Peru, the Spanish Countess of Chinchon fell ill with a high fever and was treated by a local indigenous group with a bitter substance called kinakina. To her delight, the fever receded and she was cured of what we now know was malaria. Following this event, the kina tree was later given the genus name Cinchona in the Countess's honour. Centuries later, scientists discovered that this particular variety of chinchona was a source of the compound quinine. Quinine? Quinine. Which would later inspire, thank you, Selena, synthetic drugs including hydroxychloroquine. Mm. Okay. And uh, the next little thing I want to discuss is under the title Substitute Tree. And it goes like this. As Europeans continue to extract cinchona for malaria-fighting molecule, the Peruvian tree was pushed to the brink of extinction. Oh, no. So the following century, a call, yeah, a call went out to find substitutes for this bark. And they went looking in the Amazon forest. And as a result of this, several plants were found and given the name Kina. However... They were not sources of quinine. Instead, they were alternative trees and they contained other alkaloids, which are natural chemicals that are also better, like quinine. But a lot of them are very toxic and should not be ingested. And apparently, a lot of Brazilians are out there ingesting this type of bark and... It really shouldn't be ingested. Oh, so you've got to be really careful which tree that you're sourcing the quinine from because it's not 
Yes, that's that right. Could be similar, but it's not the actual one. And then it got me thinking about um, quinine and what it does and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I looked into that. Yeah. Um, even if these alternative trees did contain quinine, that still would not make their derivatives equal to that of hydroxychloroquine. And this is because while quinine is a naturally occurring compound, the active ingredient in hydroxychloroquine is synthetic and actually has a completely different chemical makeup. So it may have similarities to that compound, but it is not that compound. Okay, so is it so, effective yeah. at all, this hydroxy? Yes, it, it, it's um, used today to treat malaria and other diseases. Uh, however, quinine pills, which are probably a more pure sort of quinine, probably just the bark broken down or something into a pill form, mm-hmm. are still used as an alternative treatment when the disease shows resistance to these newer synthetic drugs. Okay. Mm. So the, the resistance isn't to the natural, but to the synthetic. That's interesting. Yes, it is very interesting. So uh, if you are interested in taking this drug, just, just be aware that... Although the doctor will be saying, oh, you know, this is great for this illness, it's not, yeah, it hasn't been scientifically proven. And it is not, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's the same drug that they use to fight malaria, you know. But it's not, it's synthetic. But you've got to ask, well, which drug are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. And the, the hydroxychloroquine is proving to be, um, the, it's not as strong as, you know, it's, it doesn't always work. Hmm. So they're having okay. to go back to the original source. Right. And they... um, it is also important to knowledge, acknowledge that plants don't produce anything specifically just for what human and it, human needs. We sometimes forget that. They produce these chemicals so that they can survive and defend themselves. And a lot of what they produce is toxic, or at least toxic to us. Mm. So even if you're just making a harmless, say, bark tea, although it's probably safer than taking some of the pharmaceutical medications mm. out there, it's not always... Yes, got to be careful. Natural substance, like bark. Yeah. yeah, it's not only the desired substance that is extracted. You're you also extracting other chemicals produced by the plant, mm-hmm. and this can lead to dangerous dangerous results. And also, this one piece of bark is not the same as another piece of bark. You can, especially if it's you get a different piece of bark from a different season, because That's plants true. change yeah. during the season. So some sometimes they produce certain substances, and others they don't. So chemical compositions can change. So you really, it's a real science to it and you've got to know what you're doing. So just be careful. Yeah. Mm. That cinchona that tree won't grow here, will it, Karen? No. No. It's... No. And it, it, it grows in Indonesia mm. and India. Yeah. Did you find any other sources of where you um, get it? Parts of Africa, it's said. So in the tropical climate. Yes, in the tropical zone. Malaria is often 
common. So yeah. they, they really were... Oh, then I'm surprised they didn't find... Because Amazon's tropical, isn't it? Or is it yeah. subtropical? I don't know why they had to struggle finding it then. It would probably grow there quite easily. Oh, it's probably because in the forest there's so many different other trees around that they'll have to hunt for a bit to find one. Whereas if you cultivated it intensively, you you can control where you find it. Sounds to me like they just went, oh, this one looks close enough. Oh, no. (laughs) So do you plant ID gardeners? Because that's very important. Absolutely. Yeah. Consult that book, the, uh, what was that book that you talked about? Oh, the Palmer's uh, Tree Shrub Manual uh, or the World Flora Index or... Yes. That would be online as well, I'd imagine. got millions. So, yeah. There's lots of um, resources out there you can use, really. All right. So, um, thanks for that, Karen. It's always interesting to learn a new plant or a unknown plant to me anyway. Oh, it's been an interesting journey. It's given me a bit more insight, especially with the current pandemic. Mm. So it's good to know these things, eh, Selena? Okay, yep. Like knowledge is a good thing. Um so gardeners get um keep collecting and hunting for those plants because you never know what you might find. Yeah, yeah, that's right guys. Keep keep the knowledge flowing as well. All right. And keep safe. Happy gardening and bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's all we have time for. Come back next week for more great gardening tips at Garden Planet. You can find us on Facebook on our Garden Planet Facebook page or email us at gardenplanetfm at gmail.com if you want to ask us anything about gardening. Happy gardening, everyone, and we'll be back next week.